Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Monday edition of From the Boardroom to the Locker Room. Nice to have you with us today. As usual, we look back at what has been an outstanding sporting weekend. But let's just start off by giving you the latest sporting news from today. And England's Mark Wood grabbed four Pakistani wickets, have given England a hard-fought but very competitive only 26-run victory today in the second test in Multan. And they have an unassailable 2-0 lead in the three-match series. He finished with four for 65 as Pakistan were dismissed for 328 just 50 minutes after lunch on day four, having been set a challenging 355-run target. Uh, Woods missed England's 74-run win in the first test in Royal Pindi with a hip injury. He turned the match in England's favour with the wickets of Mohamed Nawaz for 45, Saoud Shakil for 94 in the space of just 12 balls and just a single run. Pakistan slumped to 291 for seven at lunch and after the break. They were all out. They tried to hit out for an unlikely win and keep the series alive. But James Anderson had Ahmed Court Wood dismissed Zahid Mahmoud with outscoring. And Ollie Robinson ended the match with a record of the number 11, Mohammed Ali Fazira, sparking wild celebrations in the England camp. Anderson and Robinson took two wickets apiece. Well done, England. Doing very, very well indeed. Yesterday, of course, Australia wrapped up their series against the West Indies. Quite easily, I might add, the uh, Australians beat the West Indies in the other matches uh, going on around the world today. I can tell you that the England women have uh, won their match in the T20 competition against the West Indies. They won that one by eight wickets, 106 for two, chasing 106, 105 for seven. The West Indies women were just, well, not all out, but that's what they scored in their 20 overs. Now, the South Africans are also in action. That's the South African test team. They're in Australia. The test match starts at the end of the week, but at the moment, they are playing in a warm-up game against uh, an Australian eleven. And Proteus assistant coach Charles Langefeld said mulling over the composition of the playing eleven for the test against Australia on Saturday is proving to be the toughest obstacle they have. The Proteas drew their match today against Cricket Australian eleven in Brisbane, where every top order batsman made a start. However, Australia is the type of test match land 90-odd for Rassi van der Dissen. He got that in the second innings. And Carl Verani, he also did exceptionally well, also got a big score in the match too. So great to see the South African bat getting some runs because he's in the batting at the moment. Uh, and we're still waiting to find out what the situation is with Temba Bavuma and whether he's going to be fit to play or not. As I said previously on this uh, podcast, not this particular one, but a previous podcast, they should just drop him, get him a chance to come and get some runs back home and put him back in the team when he's got some confidence and some form back. Because First of all, his injury problem is a big problem. You can't put him into a test match with an injury cloud hanging over his head, in this case in his elbow. And uh, you need to know that he's going to be performing. You can't have him there just as a wicket. Anyway, injured pace spearhead Josh Hazelwood has been ruled out of the test against the South Africans starting on Saturday. But the news for Australia, good news, is that Pat Cummings, their captain, is likely to play, which means that Steve Smith won against the West Indies will not be the captain at the weekend, hopefully not, because, as, as I said before, um, to Trey, he and his teammates in David Warner and Cameron Bancroft and I guess some others 
who apparently have been implicated, even some administrators. Australia seemed to sweep things under the carpet so easily. And he will, of course, uh, Pat Cummings, be back to take over the reign of captaincy. It means that either Scott Boland or Michael Nesser will miss out, despite both being impressive in their return to the Test Arena against the Caribbean side. The uncapped speedster Lance Morris will remain in the 14-man squad as a wildcard option. So it's Cummings, Boland, Carey, Green, Harris, Head, Kawaja, Labuskachny or Labuschain, Leon, Lyon, Leon, Nathan, Lance Morris, Michael Nessa, Steve Smith, Mitchell Stark, and David Warner. That's the Australian setup for the Test match against South Africa starting on Sunday, but we'll preview it in more detail for you when we talk to you on Friday evening. And uh, another big uh, talking point that's just been announced uh, just a short while ago. If South Africa was still interested in Formula E coming to Cape Town, it's happening. It's done. It's happened. It couldn't get more real. Tickets went on sale for the race today. Expectedly, prices are too expensive to some people's liking, but it will do little to deter fans of open cockpit racing from seeing the world-class machines in action against and around the mother city, with the series making its SA debut on the 25th of February. It'll be the first time an international single-seater series takes place in sub-Saharan Africa. The last time was Formula One in 1993 at the Pailami Race Circuit in Gauteng. Alberto Longo, co-founder and chief championship officer of Formula E, said they've had a very positive response with their ecosystem of teams, drivers and sponsors about coming to Cape Town. They're delighted the city is joining season's nine calendar. E-Movement, PTY Limited, the promotions company behind the race, secured the rights to host it for the next five years. Ticket sales officially underway. Fans can sit in the stands or the fan village. Fan village prices range from 300 to 350 while if you want to be in the stand, yeah, you hear the pause. 995 rand up to 3,450 rand. That's a lot of 3,450 rand to watch cars go around the circuit. The uh, Generation 3 Formula E cars will race along a 12-turn street circuit in 2.74 kilometers. According to simulations and projections, the Cape Town track will be one of the fastest of next year's Canada and will present drivers with a unique challenge as they navigate through Greenpoint and around the waterfront. The race organizers are excited about Table Mountain and Lion's Head forming the background with Robben Island in the foreground. Ian Banner, a e-mobility chairperson, commented that the public has been crying out for an open wheel street circuit race and they're now answering those cries. Table Mountain is the backdrop of Robben Island in the foreground. They have no doubt the ABB FIA Formula E World Championship will garner substantial support in Cape Town and throughout South Africa. With Formula E coming to this country and especially Cape Town, it will showcase the city as a key player in South Africa's transition to a greener future and position it as the country's renewable energy hub. So what will the street circuit look like? The Cape Town E-Prix starts at the Greenpoint Precinct at Flay Road. The field of world-class drivers will race with Signal Hill as the backdrop. Left turning to Helen Sussman Boulevard. Another left onto Granger Bay Boulevard. The racers will then have two sharp chicanes. They'll then head along the ocean front on Mully Point's Beach Road before taking a sharp left-hander into Sonnenberg Road, and finally right to reach the finish line. Now, I don't know about you, and I'm excited. Don't get me wrong. I'm really excited, but I've got to be honest with you. Something that goes, compared to something that's like, 
prefer the grunt of a Formula One car. But hey, it's nice to have single seaters right here in South Africa. So that's the good news that they're on their way. Right, let's have a look at the rugby over the weekend. And the red card that was given to Oxenshire was, uh, by all accounts, not a red card. He was unlucky to get that in the 60th minute of their encounter against Harlequins. He received his marching orders for a head-on-head contact in a tackle with the Harlequins hooker, Jack Walker. Now, is the law being enforced too rigid? Well, we have no idea. It's obviously each referee has their interpretation. In a contact sport, you'd like to see officials allowing to have some common sense in situations like that that are bound to occur. The Sharks were leading 29-14 at the time, but in the end were forced to fend off a ferocious Harlequins comeback before a late try by Witter Chamberlain sealed the win. Now, the Bulls, after leading 28-0 at one stage, had to defend for their lives against Leon, who almost scored a late try in the contest at Loftus-Fasfeld to a 42-36 win. Bulls director of rugby, Jake White, picked a largely second-string output, but his gamble paid off. He said it's going to be a long and arduous season, and the SA teams can't afford to pick their first-choice lineups every week they play. Now, the Lions will feel they let us slip the, slip the win after a helter-skelter 31-all draw with familiar foes, the Dragons. Just a few weeks ago, the Lions beat the Dragons 33-25 at Ellis Park. The Welsh side played with more vigour at the weekend and looked the better team when they led 24-17 at the break. However, they became renowned for their fight back in the second period. The Lions led 31-24 just on the hour mark. The Dragons seemed to find a new lease on a life. And the Cheetahs surprised with an upset 21-16 win over Section Bolois. In France, not many gave the Cheetahs a chance in the game, especially since they haven't been playing much rugby. The Cheetahs trailed 9-3 at halftime, kicked themselves back into gear. Veteran scrum half and captain of Ruan Pinar was instrumental in the Cheetahs' victory. Wonderful that Ruan Pinar is still playing the game. Can you believe it? He has been around for Ever, ever and ever and ever. So amazing stuff. And then the Stormers, gosh, they were in such a good position. They lost to Clement. Unbelievable. Looked so good in the Stormers. Well, they went down 24-14 in the end in their Champions Cup match. Disappointing indeed for the Stormers, but there's still lots to come with regards to the rugby. Let's have a look, which, as I say, we will go through the weekend's fixtures. But let's just have a look now so that you know what to actually look forward to uh, come the weekend. You can make your planning. Friday night, Benetton play Worcester. The Lions play Start Francais. Reeve play Connaught. The Glasgow Warriors play the USA Papillon. Then in the Heineken Cup, the Sharks are away to Union Bordeaux and Gloucester are away to Leinster. And then on Saturday, the Exeter Chiefs play the Bulls. Edinburgh play Castre. Lyon play Saracens. Leicester Tigers play Clermont. The Stormers play London Irish. Ulster play La Rochelle. And Montpellier play Ospreys. And then in the EPC Art Challenge Cup, Toulon play Bath. Cheetahs play Lechle. Clenethi Scarlets, got that out. Aviron Bionai play Benetton. Newcastle play Cardiff. And the Dragons play Section Follow-up. And then on Sunday, Stade Toulon play Sharks, Sail Sharks, that is. Northampton Saints play Munster, Harlequins play Racing 92. And in the EPCR, it's the Bristol Bears against Deborah. 
right, we've got the rugby. In fact, we haven't got all the rugby out of the way. Let's just talk Sevens rugby for a moment, shall we? And uh, the Springbok Sevens Blitzbok. A little disappointing that they didn't make it through to the final and that they lost in the playoff for third and fourth. But their coach and a guest on our show previously, Sandilian Corbo, has expressed his satisfaction with his Blitzbok. They still top the HSBC World Rugby Seven Series standings. Three tournaments done so far this year, despite a fourth-place finish in Cape Town at the weekend. Their consistency over the last two weekends means they are still top of the World Series standings, sharing first position with Samoa, who won the title in a tense final. As the rain and the lightning and the thunder let us know that we are not far from Johannesburg, where it rains and thunderstorms every day. It felt like we were back on the high felt. Now, the top four teams at the end of the season automatically gain qualification for the 2024 Olympic Games. South Africa did have a slow start in the series opener in Hong Kong a month ago. They then bounced back by winning in Dubai and maintained their consistency with a fourth-placed finish in the game last night. Okay, have I left the best for last? Well, I don't know if it's the best. But let's talk about it, shall we? The World Cup that's at Qatar 2022. So, who's in and who's out? Well, I don't think on Friday many people would have been listening to anyone who said Morocco will be the first African team to qualify for the semifinals of the World Cup. Well, they have. There they go. Into the semifinals do Morocco. What a performance. Ugly, yes, absolutely ugly. Very ugly, in fact, but ugly doesn't matter. The result in the newspaper the next morning is what matters. So they had the biggest game in their history. They play France in the semi-final on Wednesday. They have done superbly well to get so far and reach the stage of the competition. As I say, first time an African team has got this far. And they have done so Brilliantly. Now, as long as the players are not injured, and it looks as though there were a couple that might need some repair work before they get to the next game. Who are their key players? Well, the goalkeeper certainly, Yasin Buno, saved two penalties in the last 16 shootout over Spain. Solid throughout the tournament. The only time he's been beaten was through an own goal. That's what Morocco he conceded one goal. And it was an own goal. Unbelievable. It's just fantastic. So Morocco into the next round. And they'll basically play, I guess you could say, <laughs> it's a it's a French team against the B team, the Moroccans. Plenty French uh, spoken there. And a lot of action expected in that game on Wednesday evening. Final Messi and Argentina's World Cup dreams stay alive, but... The unbelievable, never-say-die play for 120 minutes plus Croatia, inspired by the brilliance of Luka Modric, stand in their way tomorrow night's semi-final in Doha. The Argentinians have recovered from the shock of losing their opening game in Qatar to Saudi Arabia. They've made the last four with wins on penalties against the Netherlands at the end of a very difficult quarterfinal. They were up 2-0 and cruising with seven minutes to go. Messi set up a goal in sublime fashion and they netted a penalty. And then they conceded twice late on and had to survive extra time before winning 4-3 in a penalty shootout. 
backed by an enormous contingent of traveling supporters who have brought the passion, noise, and color of Argentina's own stadiums to the World Cup. Messi and his teammates are starting to believe this really could be their year. So they're doing it, they say, does Emiliano Martinez for the 45 million Argentinians. Now, Argentina's optimism has only increased after seeing great rivals Brazil go out. Modric is now 35 and been billed as Messi's last chance to win a World Cup. Eight years on from Argentina's defeat in the final in Germany in Rio de Janeiro, Messi himself is determined to seize the chance and has already scored his first two goals in the knockout rounds of any World Cup netting against Australia in the last 16 before his penalty against the Dutch. World Cup glory would complete a wonderful career for the seven-time Ballon d'Or winner who is possibly the greatest club player ever. Well, people might doubt you when you say that if they are Cristiano Ronaldo fans. And the contrast between Messi at the end of his game and Ronaldo at the end of the Portugal defeat, chalk and cheese. There he was, Ronaldo, trudging off the field crying his eyes out at what clearly will be his last World Cup. Let's see what goes on and what he said about Mr. Ronaldo and the Portuguese team, whether he was or he wasn't sidelined for being, how can I say, disrespectful, you like, to the coach. Ronaldo himself says there's no point in reacting in the heat of the moment responding to his team's World Cup elimination. He has stayed on, incidentally, in Qatar, but many of the Portuguese players returned home and landed in Lisbon already yesterday afternoon. Ronaldo wrote on his Instagram page to win a World Cup for Portugal was his biggest and most ambitious dream of his career. Fortunately, he won many titles of international dimension, including those for Portugal. Now, the same cannot be said for Lionel Messi. He also, of course, has not won anything a major tournament. He's obviously won his club team, and he's done brilliantly in Europe. But Argentina-wise, he's yet to win a World Cup. Ronaldo, on the other hand, can say that he has won the European Championship. So who's the GOAT, the greatest of all time? Well, that's I guess, depends on who you think is your favorite player or whose favorite team he plays for. Now, at 37, Ronaldo playing in his fifth World Cup, and as soon as the whistle blew at the end of the game, down the tunnel, tears streaming down his face. He is, of course, without a club. Maybe that's why he stayed in Qatar. He had a bitter divorce with, I'm sure, a huge payout settlement with Manchester United. Now, according to the Portuguese uh, press, Ronaldo threatened to leave the squad after he was dropped from the starting lineup. Ronaldo himself says he just wants everyone to know there was a lot said, a lot written, a lot speculated, but his dedication to Portugal didn't change for an instant. He was always one more player fighting for everyone's goal. And I would never turn my back on my teammates in my country. The five World Cups I've played alongside great players supported by millions of Portuguese. I gave it my all. I left everything on the field. I never turned my back on the fight. and I never gave up on the dream. Unfortunately, the dream ended. It was beautiful while it lasted. Meanwhile, Portuguese central defender Pepe was asked about his former Real Madrid clubmate as he returned on Sunday. He said Ronaldo was fine. I want to thank him as well as my teammates who gave their best. Yeah, you've got to feel sorry for them. Or not. I don't know. It's up to you. Uh, if you wanted to see Portugal get through to the next round, well, then, yes, you can feel sorry for them. If you're a big fan of Ronaldo, which a lot of us are, 
myself included, I think he's one of the greatest players of all time. His record speaks for itself, but uh, sometimes his behavior has been a left a little bit of a sour taste in your mouth. And like Messi, he doesn't seem to get involved in any kind of controversy, really, does he? So the World Cup 2022 Qatar is at its final form. It means that these four teams will, irrespective of what happens, stay on by virtue of the fact that there is that I hate kissing my sister sort of match, like, yeah, which is the semi-final losers play each other for third place. Who cares? Let's be honest. Who on earth cares who comes third? But who cares who even comes second in the World Cup? So who is it going to be? Argentina, Croatia, France, Morocco. Those are the four teams. I guess at the beginning of the tournament, you would have gone Argentina, France definitely got a chance. You would have been very surprised about Croatia and you would never have dreamed in your wildest dreams that Morocco would make it. Now, do Morocco have 11 fit players? That's the big thing. Lucky for them, they only play on Wednesday, so they have an extra day. Argentina and Croatia play on Tuesday, tomorrow night at 9 o'clock and then Wednesday night, France against Morocco. Then there's a break until Saturday for that semi-final loser game. And then the winner of the World Cup will be crowned. And the game's at 5 o'clock on Sunday, must not 9 o'clock. The two semi-finals are at 9 o'clock tomorrow and Wednesday. But the final is at 5 o'clock on Sunday evening. That's 5 o'clock Central African time, where it will be either Argentina and Croatia against France or Morocco. And I'll tell you that we will be talking to uh, football correspondent Kevin Evans on Thursday. Looking ahead to the final, by then we'll know who's who in the Zuya. We'll be able to give you that information, obviously, by Thursday morning. And we will talk to Kevin Evans and get his views on the tournament so far and what the final is going to be. We've also got a couple of other really good interviews lined up for you through the course of next week and this week. We will be talking uh, karate, and we will also be talking to Dr. Kirsten van Heerden. Now, Dr. Kirsten van Heerden is a sports psychologist who we will be chatting to after all the bits and pieces and the drama with regards to Nathaniel Um, maybe even Elton Yankees and a couple of other players that we might not necessarily know in the forefront of our memories, but who have been affected, uh, I think, of Marcus Triscothic, for example, another one of those great players who seems to have had mental health issues needed to sort out. Even Ben Stokes had some mental health issues. And there are a couple of other ones, uh, names that we will hopefully uh, throw around a bit. But it's not so much the names. It's more having a conversation about how those players can be helped and how young players coming up in the game can be helped. You think of someone like Tristan Stubbs, who's just uh, landed a contract for nine million plus how does a guy at that age 22 23 cope with the kinds of pressures that go with it what kind of pressure do you have when you're standing in front of the ball 12 yards away from the goal to try and score a penalty like harry kane on the weekend saturday nights missed the penalty and england were out of the world cup before you knew it you had all sorts of memes and photos superimposed photoshopped of this poor Harry Kane all over the world as if he looked like Johnny Wilkinson trying to kick the ball over the posts. And you had newspaper clippings of all sorts of things. How do these players cope? And how do, how do first of all, we as fans, do we play a part? 
are we in any way to blame? Do we put undue pressure on these players every time they go out on the field? Or they get paid a hell of a lot of money and they need to learn to live with the pressure. We'll find all of that out when we talk to our sports psychologist tomorrow, Dr. Kristen van Heerden. Looking forward to having that chat. And then also lining up an interview. How's your karate, guys? Yeah, we're going to have some karate conversation. Uh, we'll bring you some karate, some of these Japanese words, but we will have some karate for you uh, in the week as well. So uh, we've got some great interviews lined up for you on from the boardroom to the locker room as we head towards the end of 2022. Okay, so that was a brief look at the weekend preview. Just one or two other things that I have not had a conversation with you about yet. And that is the DP World Tour and a first-time win at Leopard Creek for South African Oki Stradum. He uh, put 19, that's it, 19 second-place finishes in his career. The 37-year-old caught at a final around three under past 69 at Leopard Creek Country Club to win the Alpha Daniel Championship. And what a moment to remember. It's his first win on the DP Tour. It's a magnificent golf course, a really difficult one. And he's gone out there and after 19 second places, it just shows you don't ever, ever give up. Keep on trying. One day it will be your day. This was Ockney Stradham's day yesterday. And I must be honest with you, I had a chance to go through the field and watch a little bit of the golf. It's so great to see my buddy Ernie Else here in South Africa to play in the tournament. And a couple of other South Africans, I might add, that have come out. But Ernie, of course... Now playing on the senior tour in America, Brandon Grace was here, Louis Oosthuis and Dean Baumeister all came out. Guys that normally play either on the Live Golf Tour or the DP World Tour or obviously in the US and like Ernie in the Seniors Tour came out and played at Leopard Creek. But I have to be honest with you, you know what? Give me an invitation to go and play golf at Leopard Creek. I'll go. It doesn't matter where in the world I am. It is just magnificent in the Kruger National Park, right in the heart of the park. Magnificent golf course. The facilities are unbelievable and just something special to go out there and play. Just shows you, as I say, do not ever give up on your dreams. If that's all you take from tonight's edition or from the boardroom to the locker room, that's all I want you to take from tonight's show. Be nice to each other and we'll talk to you again tomorrow night. Till the next edition of From the Boardroom to the Locker Room, we'll talk to you then. Bye for now.